Hi, weather friends. Welcome to the Girls Who Chase podcast, stories of women in weather and storm chasing. I'm Jen. I'm a storm chaser and science communicator, and I'll be your host. Girls Who Chase is a new initiative that empowers and inspires girls and women around the world to pursue the sciences, the weather, and their passions. On this podcast, we'll bring you the badass female and female-identified voices of the storm-chasing weather and science community to raise and tackle some real-life tough questions and issues and identify solutions and paths forward. You can find out more about what we're doing at girlswhochase.com. Now, on to the show. Karen Kasiba has always been fascinated by the world around her. As a child, she collected caterpillars, built model bridges, took lots of photos, and stayed up late watching lightning. When she started college, she considered careers in architecture, patent law, and veterinary medicine, but ultimately decided that observational studies of severe weather somehow combined all of her interests. Karen is now the managing director of the Flexible Array of Radars and Mesonets, or FARM facility, and is an adjunct research professor at the University of Illinois. Her research mainly focuses on the kinematics and dynamics of severe convective storms, characterizing the low-level wind structure in tornadoes and understanding the boundary layer winds and small-scale structures in landfalling hurricanes. Key to her research is executing field projects to collect data that can be analyzed to better understand and predict these hazardous weather events. A strong believer in experiencing weather from the inside of a mobile weather radar, she has participated as a radar operator, project scientist, and project leader in a multitude of field projects. She's collected data in over 100 tornadoes and has deployed radar in nine hurricanes. Additionally, she's passionate about science education, regularly participating in outreach activities at schools, museums, and festivals, and in media interviews. She has a BS and an MS in physics, an MAT in teacher education, and a PhD in atmospheric science. And a quick disclaimer about this interview, which was originally recorded in November 2022. While the project references are good, the timing of the project is going to sound a bit off. Please take note of this when dates are referenced in the discussion. Thank you so much, Karen, for joining me today. I'm super excited to be talking to you um, about your work and uh, everything that you've done in the weather community. So let's start with talking about the origin of um, your interest in weather, how you got involved in weather research, and, and we can kind of go from there. I feel like this is always like the superhero question. What's your origin story? Um, <laughs> For sure. It is a superhero question. Yes. What's your origin? Um, gosh, I feel like every time I tell this, like, I feel like I have like the boringest story. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I wasn't super into weather as a kid. I'm like, <laughs> hey, I wasn't not into it. Yeah. I'm like, no requirements. I, I definitely, yeah. I'm like, I definitely was interested. Um, I always say, I mean, I was sort of interested. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and we didn't really have that many tornadoes, but we had a lot of lightning and stuff. And I always thought lightning was kind of cool. Um, and my dad used to, we used to stay up late watching lightning storms. Um, but I didn't really think that like necessarily sparked my interest. Um, and then, gosh, I kind of always liked nature and being outside and doing things sort of more hands-on. And I went to school for college in physics because <laughs> that seemed very hands-on and Not that far a foundation away. for 
a foundation for other things that I could go on to do, um, which I was thinking architecture, engineering, <laughs> veterinary medicine, um, definitely not meteorology. Um, and yeah, just because I didn't really totally know what I wanted to do, I just went to graduate school um, in physics again, um, but sort of a small school and they had somebody who was studying astrophysics and they had somebody who was studying sort of atmospheric physics. And um, I started working with a person who studied atmospheric physics and he's actually one of the people um, that was like the first creator of vortex chambers. Um, so laboratory modeling of tornadoes. Very cool. um, and he was, yeah, uh, Chris Church, he was actually a really great guy. Um, and I just sort of got into it. And then I was, I actually had a bit of a fear of weather too, by the time I got to graduate school. I don't know, I had a fear of everything, flying, weather. <laughs> um, How ironic. But yeah, tornadoes. <laughs> But yeah, so it was, I got into, you know, vortex modeling and vortex theory and tornadoes in particular. And it seemed like the more I was doing research on the subject, that there was so much that wasn't known. Um, and it was also sort of a field that you could, I mean, I was working in a laboratory doing modeling, but also a field you can go out and do stuff outside or, you know, in nature, um, as opposed to sitting in front of a computer all day, um, which is sort of what some of the astrophysics stuff was, was a lot of coding and modeling. Um, <laughs> and I guess if I hooked up with the somebody doing meteorology certainly meteorology also could be a lot of coding and modeling <laughs> but that wasn't wasn't the people I was talking with um I was talking with people doing laboratory modeling and then eventually mobile radars um so yeah so then I went and got my PhD in atmospheric science finally um with Jeff Trapp at Purdue um and the, and I said yeah basically I'm like I don't want to do modeling I want to do, you know, mobile radar stuff. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. He's like, I know two people at Oklahoma. He's like, you know, Holly or Josh. <laughs> he's like, I could hook you up, you know, with one of them doing their field projects. Um, and he hooked me up with uh, doing the field projects with Josh Warman. Um, and basically, I never looked back, except I ended up doing laboratory modeling of tornadoes, or not laboratory, numerical modeling of tornadoes for my PhD, because... <laughs> We never got the data that I actually needed that I wanted to do for my PhD. So I ended up doing large eddy simulations of tornado vortices. Um, but what data did you a, want for your PhD? Oh, I wanted to, I had, I actually, I actually did a proposal to NSF um, to try to get funding and it got declined. Gosh. Um, and I still went on. No, <laughs> but um, uh, doing sort of, uh, looking at damage relationships and looking at sort of low level winds and tornadoes, which is basically what I'm trying to still do now. <laughs> um, and that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with the data um, and look at, you know, actually what's measured in nature and how that relates to winds at the surface and vortex structure um, and how those winds do damage. Um, but, you know, a PhD is sort of a short period of time. And again, it was hard to, you know, get funding and get the right data for that. Um, so I do have some, data. I actually used um, some radar data to drive the large eddy simulation. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, I think that was the first time that was done, but it wasn't the whole, <laughs> I, I still had to do modeling, <laughs> which I wasn't, which I wasn't hoping to do. I have to say, I think that's the first time I've ever heard the words PhD in short amount of time in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you have to, you have to finish up and uh, get out at some point. Um, and <laughs> certainly when you're doing laboratory or not laboratory, when you're doing in particular field research, um, and you're hoping for, you know, particular data sets, yeah. um, or try, you know, trying to make something out of, you know, nature, um, it could be a little bit more challenging. Uh, there was a joke with me and one of the other PhD students that was called the slow race and it was who would win the slow race, which would be <laughs> the person who graduates last, <laughs> but yeah, 
and eventually your funding runs out and people are like get out of here you have a job get right. your PhD and go <laughs> I just so, remember like yeah. everyone taking forever to finish oh, yeah. a PhD I mean, and you know like yeah so that's, that's I mean it feels like forever and I mean I'd already done like a bachelor's degree a master's degree I actually did a master's degree right. in teaching and then you know a PhD and again I mean at some point you're, I know it's I say, you know, I just have to finish it up. So, <laughs> right. So your wait. So your master's is in education. I have a master's in education and a master's in physics. Um, How many degrees do yeah. you have? Those four. <laughs> but that four. you know, I'm, I'm kind of messing with you. But um, that's interesting because I think about the times I've seen you. Um, on various television shows talking about some aspect of weather that's highly technical and yet you're doing an excellent job. So that explains a lot about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It takes a lot of effort. <laughs> I always like hear other people. Yeah, I always hear other people explain things and I'm like, oh yeah, that's nice. And then I realize I'm in like some convoluted, and especially like the first time I explain something because I'm like in the weeds of like, I'm like what? what am I even talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know like 50 paragraphs later and i'm just like and that's why and that's how a radar works <laughs> yep awesome and then like somebody says it like in three words like you know three sentences and i'm like or that which is much or, better yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, i'm gonna steal that and use that next time i have to explain the way a radar works <laughs> <laughs> why not i mean yeah <laughs> that is the hardest thing though right is it's not even just breaking it down it's um distilling it to a point that you know, depending on audience, your people's eyes don't glaze over and Oh yeah, you know, exactly. You're not and then like a or dictionary. like what and then like what not like and not in a bad way, like what level like you're talking like kids, I mean are the worst, but I mean that in a really good way, because they ask like the real fundamental questions and they're like, How does a tornado form? And I'm like, uh <laughs> How long do you have? <laughs> and like, there's ups and down and spin. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, you know, like, it's like the hardest question to answer. And it's like, you know, at whatever level, but yeah. like, kids are always like the ones that seem to just cut to the chase. Like how do tornadoes form? I'm like, oh, don't know. <laughs> totally. Good question. Still working on yeah. that. Get... Still working on that. I actually got surprised a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was in a third grade class and someone asked how tornadoes formed and I, I was keeping it very basic. And then out of nowhere, uh, the teacher in the classroom was like, well, that's all about shear. Right. And I was like, what? Super technical, you know, I wasn't even yeah. going to even close to go there and you know, apparently they had just learned about it that morning, but she totally caught Perfect. me by surprise. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's okay. Let me start over. <laughs> yeah. You're like, so there's sheer. Yeah. And there's tape. Let's talk about. <laughs> and there's let's, a tornado. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> right, exactly. So what would you say then, given um, that you weren't sort of born obsessed with weather, which I think, you know, everyone takes a different journey and into getting how they how they get there but there's always something that's kind of driving people so what would you say kind of kept you interested and kept you on that path uh I think sort of a lot of things I mean 
I, I did get interested in it. So, I mean, you know, I sort of just didn't know what I wanted to do. I kind of like just a lot of different things and didn't really know what, what made, what made a career, you know, what, what to do with a career. Fair. Um, and so, I mean, so I sort of followed, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I'll try, you know, astrophysics because I'm sort of, you know, I like nature and the universe and earth and earth and how things work like that. So, you know, I'm like, and I'm like, and I'll, you know, try atmospheric science and see, um, and again, I think it's some of it was, I got an opportunity to do a lot of hands-on stuff. I got a lot of opportunities to do almost exactly what I wanted to do, you know, which is do this laboratory modeling, um, work with mobile radars. Um, and certainly then the people I worked with, I ended up, you know, a lot of my mentors have been pretty good. So they've been pretty encouraging um, 93% of the time. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> No, so that's been good. What does I mean, the other seven percent look like? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I think overall, you know, it's sort of, you know, they've been positive people in doing that. And I, again, I really like the idea that there's, you know, these issues or these problems that we haven't solved or these things that we don't know. And I don't know. It's sort of attracted to the extreme stuff, but also, you know, attracted to trying to get these observations and learn more about these different types of weather phenomena. So you sort of answered my next question, which was <laughs> who supported you in that process or did you have people you kind of looked up to along the way? Uh, I mean, I think ultimately I had probably, I mean, I had a good support network. I mean, so I'm pretty lucky that way. My parents are supportive you know, of me going to school and going to school again, <laughs> going to school. <laughs> so, you know, they weren't like, oh my God, really? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and like, you know, people I worked with, I mean, the person I worked with for my master's degree, he was really, you know, supportive and was trying to get me opportunities to talk with people and meet people and, you know, onward and onward, um, PhD. And then, postdoc stuff and obviously I haven't left <laughs> I haven't left where I was once I graduated um, I'm still working with the Doppler on Wheels program so gotcha. and I think 93% of the time um, people are pretty people are pretty supportive and you know try to give opportunities and advancements and advice um, so awesome. although it's kind of awkward I still like work with my PhD advisor so I'm like you know I've graduated right <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean he doesn't like. Just like it's just funny. I'm like my universe hasn't really expanded much. I'm like I'm still like with the same people I was like 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean that's kind of amazing, actually. Like if it ain't broke, you know, like if it's yeah, no, no, it's a great it's, partnership. It's funny, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind. It is kind of like I mean. <laughs> Yeah, like going back to live with your parents and they're still treating you like you're 10 and you're like, yeah, yeah I'm actually a grown adult, so <laughs> I can function. I mean, life. they're not, but I'm like, I always sometimes wonder, I'm like, God, I'm like, you know, I'm like, you all do realize, you know, I'm like, you know, that I've aged 20 years in this process. <laughs> Just want to make sure everybody knows that. Um, but no, I mean, I think they're, I mean, for the most part, yeah, I think people realize they have. Gotcha. Once I start putting on reading glasses, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I know. Same. <laughs> right. That is like a rite of passage that you start to yeah. get readers yeah. for things. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I'm sure a lot of our listeners know about the Doppler on Wheels program, but um, can you give us the the rundown on, you know, the program and maybe where what you're doing 
right now? What's your, what are you focusing on? Yeah. Uh, so the Dappler and Wheels, I call them the Kleenex of radars. Um, so basically, <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody always gets confused. They call every radar like a Dow. And I'm like, no, they're not on Dows. <laughs> Dows are Dows. Smarters are Smarters. NOXPs are NOXPs. <laughs> um, but no, actually, uh, so, I mean, but they are mobile radars on a truck. Um, and they were invented uh, by Josh Werman back in the 1990s. Um, basically, the first scanning radar that was put on a truck um, to go get close to tornadoes. And they've evolved quite a bit since <laughs> 19 diggity do. Um, we now have a fleet of four of them um, with different capabilities, um, dual pole, dual frequency. We have X bands. We have a new C band that we built probably like six years ago now. Um, which is slightly different than the DAOs. Uh, so the DAOs are all X-band. Um, and basically, that's a complete radar on the back of a truck. Uh, you could you know, get really close to a tornado, get inside a hurricane, go up a mountain with it, um, be scanning in you know, 50 seconds or scan while you drive, um, which is what we do sometimes. Um, but the C-band uh, needs to be assembled. So in order to have a same beam width as the X-band. So the X-bands have about a one degree beam width. Um, in order to have that for a C-band, um, you, need, you need a very big dish, about 14 feet, um, which you can't drive down the road with. Uh, so it takes about two hours to set up the C-band. It comes in two pieces um, and we sort of assemble it uh, on site. Um, and C-bands are better for looking through like precipitation type stuff. Um, so X-bands attenuate. Um, so for example, if you're looking through a squall line or something with a lot of precipitation or a lot of hail. Um, what a lot of times happens is you don't see the back end of it um, because the signal the signal just gets attenuated away. Um, but with the C-band, you're able to penetrate uh, through that. Um, so we're looking forward to hopefully one day taking that to a hurricane. Um, but it's been involved in a wintry mix project, the wintry mix project uh, up in Canada, looking at winter weather. Um, and then we've had it for the Perils Project down in the southeast, looking at uh, QLCS tornadoes. Um, and we'll be bringing it out again this year for Perils. Um, yeah, so in terms of immediate stuff, um, one of the DAOs just left today um, for New York State, um, looking at, it's going to be looking at lake effect snow um, on a project called Lee, um, led by Scott Steiger at uh, SUNY Oswego. So we'll be looking at snow bands, electrification and snow bands, so looking at the microphysics or the dual pole um, stuff primarily. Uh, with the DAOs. Um, and then after that, it goes right away <laughs> to Perils. Um, so Memphis, Tennessee is where we're basing. Um, we're going to bring a couple DAOs, the C-band, sounding systems, mesonets, pods, <laughs> a whole fleet of stuff. Um, this is All a big right. project. It has probably about, yeah, probably about 100 people. Um, a lot of different universities, University of Illinois, NC State, um, NOAA-funded stuff from the Severe Storms Lab, University of Oklahoma, Texas Tech. I'm sure I'm forgetting people, ULM, UAH. <laughs> um, but it's a big project, uh, a two-year project studying tornadoes in the Southeast. So we completed last year um, in May. And then this year, we're going to be starting in February um, and going through mid-May. And then <laughs> I have a project, hopefully, that's going to get funded to look at um, supercell tornadoes and looking at tornado structure um, and doing sort of close-in close in looking at tornadoes um, back in the plains. Um, and then there's several other proposals in for looking at um, hail in a couple of years. Um, so looking at uh, hail and hail processes. Um, and then I think there's going to be another winter 
winter project proposed. Uh, so hopefully we, hopefully people get funded and we stay busy. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. That's, that's like a whole, y'all are busy. That's a good thing. Yeah, no, it's a great thing. I mean, talk to me for just a second. So the perils project, um, and I, I, I do want to remain aware that our, you know, our audience is kind of mixed in terms of um, technical experience. So yeah, talk to me a little bit about QLCS tornadoes and why there's a project dedicated to looking at those and how those are different from supercell tornadoes and and why does it matter? Yeah, so there's been for a few years a project called Vortex Southeast, um, which has been taking place um, since 2016, maybe, um, in the Southeast United States. So places like Alabama, Mississippi, um, basically Alabama, Mississippi, a sort of very concentrated small project um, based out of uh, UAH, uh, University of Alabama, Huntsville. Um, and again, a, a small sort of annual project uh, looking at and that project was looking at just tornadoes in the southeast, um, whether they're from supercells or whether they're from uh, these quasi-linear convective systems, um, which unlike supercells, so unlike sort of the you know storm people are familiar with in the plains with the hook echo and a you know mesocyclone, um, QLCSs are these long, hundreds of kilometers um, long systems. Sometimes they have, and this is this is a taboo. Sometimes they have embedded supercells, <laughs> and anyway, there, there are people who will be like, "No, they don't have embedded supercells. That's not a thing." And some people will be like, oh, "That's fine. <laughs> That's something." Um, but they have kinks in the line, and they have places that they have hooks or they have rotations there. Um, but the the real problem with those is that um, they don't produce tornadoes usually as strong as something you get from a supercell. You're usually looking at EF zero to sort of EF two ish tornadoes um, in terms of strength but they're pretty unpredictable. So where they form in the line is hard to predict. Um, so it's a real forecasting challenge. Um, and there's also not much warning uh, for their formation. Um, so unlike supercells, I, you know, we have about, I'll say about 15 minutes lead time for most sort of supercell events um, if they're producing tornadoes um, and also probably a good idea of where that tornado is gonna go. Um, a pretty good idea um, in the QLCSs, uh, hardly any lead time and hardly any idea where in this line um, it's going to form. I mean, there's some ideas, but it's not as straightforward as supercells. So the so the impetus then for Perils was just looking at um, these QLCS supercells, or sorry, QLCS tornadoes. Oh. No. <laughs> no, so um, because those are the most common, that's the most common storm mode down there. That's the most common storm mode that produces tornadoes. Uh, and that's the one that has the biggest forecasting challenge. So then Perils basically, you know, um, between NSF, National Science Foundation, um, and NOAA, National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, <laughs> um, is funding this project called Perils. Um, and it's just a joint effort between the two agencies. Like I said, there's probably upwards of 100 people out there. Um, we have eight different radars. We have, I mean, about 13 sounding systems. I think we have six or seven mesonets. Um, we have this whole fleet of stick nets and pods, so up to like 30 or so deployable surface instruments. Um, so it's a pretty big project, um, and it's uh, for three months uh, this year, and it was two months last year. Um, so trying to bracket in the Southeast, what we call the cool season, um, and then sort of getting into what you would traditionally think of, because um, February, um, in the plains, people don't really think of that as tornado season. Um, but in the Southeast, um, that's oh, certainly yeah. the start of their tornado season. Yeah. 
Um, so we're trying to get the February to May timeframe there. Hi, podcast listeners. I'm thrilled to tell you that our day-long Storm Chasing 101 training event is back on March 2nd, 2024. The annual virtual spring training event, and yes, the pun is intended, will provide foundational, operational, and accessible information and training material for storm chasers at all levels, from those who want to begin their chase education or brush up on the basics, to more advanced chasers wanting to learn more in depth about specialized topics. Just like in baseball, we'll gather every spring to shake off the rust, refresh our skills, and get ready to hit a home run. Not sure if this one's for you? If you've ever thought to yourself, I'd love to start storm chasing, but I have no idea how to get started, believe me, you're not alone. We've been hearing this over and over since we launched Girls Who Chase, and that's why spring training is designed to offer accessible, entry-level, foundational basics for everyone. Spring training is provided in partnership with the leading meteorology education organization, Comet's MetEd program, and will always be held virtually and remain affordable. Girls Who Chase is a global community, and we believe strongly in making science and learning accessible to everyone without the constraints of travel or financial hardship. And if you can't make it on March 2nd, don't worry. We'll be recording all presentations and they'll be made permanently available to registrants. For all the details, including topics, speakers, and the schedule, please go to girlswhochase.com slash springtraining. What? <laughs> um, I know, I'm like, where do I even go from there? I know, I, no, I have like 500 more questions, but then I'm, I'm like, that's not what this podcast is about. Stop asking questions about QLCS tornadoes, Jennifer. <laughs> um, I just think it's fascinating. I, what, so I'm going to ask one more question about QLCS because I feel like um, is part of the impetus for this project because we've seen a lot more QLCS behavior in in recent years. It seems like we have, but this is like entirely my anecdotal observation. Yeah, I and I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not good at, I, I'm not a sort of climatologist. I'm not sort of tracking. Yeah, if there's been an uptick in, or if there's just been an uptick in awareness. Yeah. Um, again, I think, but 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 in terms of researching the background, um, certainly. QLCS tornadoes were, are the big problem in the Southeast. Um, and gotcha. maybe there's more people there. Again, I'm not yeah. totally, totally paying attention to why it's become more in the forefront, um, but it certainly has always been, I think, an issue. Um, again, more people, um, different housing standards, different building standards. Um, gotcha. You know, there's a lot of things that go into, go into the reporting and stuff and how things you know, make it to the forefront of what's happening. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I should say that real quick, unlike, unlike, you know, your traditional sort of um, high plains tornado project um, perils, we don't, the radars don't chase or not all of the radars chase. Um, what we do is we set up a big radar array um, because the thing is about QLCSs is, is again, they're big. Um, and we set up a big radar array and, the storms come through our net. Um, so somewhere between 12 to 24 hours beforehand, we're all <laughs> frantically frantically setting up stuff, um, whether it's the radars or these stick nets or lightning mapping arrays. Um, 
And then there are mobile assets. So there are some mobile radars that are shuffling around. There's sounding teams, there's mesonets. Um, but the terrain in the Southeast isn't 100% conducive to <laughs> setting up things on the no fly. Um, <laughs> we actually spent, I mean, we spent over, over a month um, and other people have spent time too, just finding sites. So I spent less last fall, basically, <laughs> driving around the Southeast, um, looking for, you know, over 200 radar sites from Arkansas wow. down to almost the Gulf Coast, and then over, you know, uh, East a little bit. So we have a big playbook of radar sites. I bet there are chasers who would pay big money for <laughs> <laughs> what you found out there. That's pretty funny. Um, okay. So uh, more on the emotional side of things, what is it that you experience either from doing this work or the sense of accomplishment or anything outside of that um, while working in weather and um, working these studies that keeps you coming back for more? So I guess I, I'm, I'm aiming for the, the stuff outside of the immediate academic accomplishment and more what's keeping you kind of emotionally tied to the work? Um, I love big blue radars. No. <laughs> um, yeah, why, why do I keep doing this? <laughs> it is a fair question that we have to ask ourselves sometimes when it comes to weather. <laughs> I mean, I guess emotionally, I mean, in some ways, I know this sounds horrible. I mean, I'm sort of good at it um so it's sort of something I know how to do and I, I like juggling these pieces and getting a sense of accomplishment when you juggle these pieces correctly <laughs> to be able to get the data you want um and I, I don't know if that's emotional but I mean it makes me feel it makes me feel good when like you're able to take like all this complex stuff and complex instruments and complex people and complex weather and actually get something out of it no i mean that's there is no right answer to that i think and you know it's it's a bit refreshing i think to hear you say i feel accomplished and i'm good at it because i've noticed through these conversations i've been having on the podcast and otherwise with girls who chase that that's a very real kind of cultural issue that women struggle with is we often don't feel like we're allowed to feel that way for one reason or oh, another. It's yeah, like not yeah. in our cultural training, you know? So, um, and I, it's, it's entirely possible <laughs> for anybody. Um, but I think a lot of times we feel like we're not allowed. So actually that's, that's a really great answer to hear. I also know what I'm bad at too, for, <laughs> for if that makes any sense. Well, I, I guess it's sort of a, it's a mixed bag, right? I mean, I say I'm good at it, but I'm also, I mean, there's aspects of it I'm not good at at all. Um, but I, I think I know how to put together a team or work with people that, you know, can do things that better than I can. And that's fine. <laughs> and I could do other things, you know, better, or, you know, whatever. I mean, I think it's more of a mix. I mean, so, yeah, yeah I mean, I think that's, I mean, 
and I also don't try to do it all anymore, which I think at some point mm. I've been like, and I can do that and that, and that, and that, and that, and I can't really not manage people. <laughs> so I'll just do everything. Totally. Um, and I still always have a tendency of that, but then I think more and more I'm starting to realize like, <laughs> it's not really my strength. And like that person's much better at that. And I could focus on, you know, the larger picture or something like that, um, which I think probably 10 or 15 years ago was not, <laughs> I, you know, it was more like, no, I can do everything. I want to make sure everybody knows I can do everything. <laughs> Yeah. Even if, you know, even if I don't Love like it or, face. you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I'm, so that's, that's been kind of nice and refreshing. So I think there's been an evolution of why I keep coming back, you know, to do this each, each year, each, each decade. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what has your experience been like as a woman in some very highly technical fields and how has that evolved over time or has it? Um, well, I certainly think the number of women in highly technical fields have evolved over time. Um, so I feel like, and maybe, I mean, I should probably look at, these are just my anecdotes, not my, not, not actually looking at statistics. I mean, I feel like when I started out, um, there wasn't that many women in it in meteorology or well there wasn't that many women in physics and I mean there wasn't that many women in meteorology I mean there was definitely some I mean so it wasn't a total void um but I definitely feel like now when I go to conferences or when I'm out in the fields you know running into other teams um I feel like I'm seeing you know more females out there um than I did before more females out there in more substantive roles um than I had in the past and that I don't have to prove myself as much or I'm not as, I mean, I do worry about stuff, so don't get me wrong, but I, I don't feel like I have to do everything or need to see everybody have me do everything. Um, and some of the things I've even forgotten how to do. <laughs> I made such an effort, you know, early on, like to, you know, be the person who blah, 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 blah. Um, and now I'm just like, yeah, I don't even remember how to do that. <laughs> like, you could do it. <laughs> Which I don't think, you know, again, I don't, th I don't think like 10 years ago, you know, I'd be, saying that I'd be like no <laughs> let, let me let me fix that I got it <laughs> Step away. was that coming from you felt like you had to prove yourself in general or because they're because you were one of the very few women or where do you think that was coming from I don't know I, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell I mean you know some of the stuff I mean I'll even say like forecasting was like a big thing like I never came from a forecasting background and my interest in forecasting is still about that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, not that I don't work on, you know, I mean, if we have a project and I'm looking at stuff or if we're doing, you know, a tomato project, I, you know, I'm, I am looking at the forecast, um, but I don't need to look at it for, you know, eight hours um, and every single, you know, per model run. Um, other people are doing that. <laughs> they know the biases of the HER, or the GFS or the new GFS or whatever, um, which I just am not. But I think starting out, because forecasting was such a big thing, you know, doing tornado research and being in the field, you know, everybody, you know, just spent hours and hours and hours, like I said, knowing everything about every forecast, anything. Um, and I don't know if it's because I, was, I don't know if it's male or female, and I just felt like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> I can forecast too. Um, and, you know, sort of anxious to get up the forecast learning curve quickly um, and being able to do that um yeah I mean other stuff too I mean you know I mean I don't know snowmobiling <laughs> I get snowmobile <laughs> I am the like, same oh, 
Yeah, it's perfectly like fine if somehow a helicopter can drop me off, like at that location. <laughs> <laughs> I am like, yeah, it's more like I have to prove it to myself. I think than anyone else. Yeah, I guess sometimes too. I'm like, because I don't want to be also like. Yeah, and like, and like I said, I mean, sometimes I just don't do stuff anymore because I have so many other things on my plate. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, I forgot how to do that. Like, I don't know how to do that anymore. And I feel like panicked all of a sudden. Like, what if I'm in the middle of nowhere trying to fix something in the Dow and I forgot, trying you know, or I haven't done GFS. that in like ages. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, so sometimes um, I, yeah, I have that feeling of, you know, I won't have a team around me. Um, and I, I have to, you know, back to that, I have to do everything myself again. I have to do the forecast. I have to fix the radar, I have to collect the data, you know, I have to manage this. Um, but yeah, I feel like I said, now I'm getting panicked about the things I don't remember how to do anymore. Um, <laughs> gotcha. but yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, so I think again, I don't know if it's because male or female, it's hard to tell because I'm mostly just surrounded by males. I mean, pretty much every team I'm working with, um, I'd say 95% of the time, you know, is all is male and then me. Um, maybe another, you know, maybe a second female, but I mean, that's, so I, it, it's hard to, it's hard to differentiate then between <laughs> what yeah. I'm trying to prove to myself and like what I just want to accomplish um, versus what I'm trying to, you know, because I feel, you know, because I'm the only female out there. So that hasn't changed much is what I'm hearing. <laughs> I know now you made me think about all the things still all men <laughs> um, it is still yeah so actually I mean it is still a lot of men um doing field work um as a long-term thing um certainly different projects you know there's an influx of females for that project but not necessarily for long-term long-termness that's a word sure um so yeah I guess that I guess that hasn't changed much and I don't know if it's just because people have different I don't know, different, and sometimes, I mean, some of it, I think is, you know, some of the field where sometimes we just, I mean, I see this, you know, as, as a young person's game. <laughs> no, I mean, in the sense, even I would say for males and females, I mean, and I see that happen too. I mean, you know, because you're leaving and you're back and then you're going out again and you didn't tell anybody and then you're working these weird hours and people are calling in the middle of the night because the radar is broke, even if you're not there, you know? Um, where, you know, I mean, sometimes like if people are making choices, you know, different choices about, you know, what they want their lifestyle to be like, they don't, I mean, and people also like doing it when they're 82, <laughs> 80 as well. I mean, you know, it's sort of, I mean, so there's definitely also like a dropout, I think, you know, once people, I'll say hit 35, <laughs> um, you know, their tolerance to being away from home for three months or, you know, sort of being on call, off call, on call. Um, and so, you know, that that changes things too. Of course. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm not after any particular thing. I'm just kind of curious. Um, and I'll give you a different example. So in my, in my interview with Liz, um, you know, we were talking about whether the lifestyle as a national weather service shift worker uh, had, yeah. an Im had an impact on gender. Right. So it's not just, I'm not just after, biases per se. I'm after right. like, are women purposefully choosing different types of careers because family is more important or there's other things that are more important or they just frankly don't want to be awake at 3 a.m., you know, sitting in an office or something like that. So it is, 
it's interesting to to learn patterns around what's a deterrent um and then is right. there a gender relationship and 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 it's all anecdotal of course but like you know i didn't even think about that um from that perspective right that you're gone for lengthy periods of time like that which would impact decision making if you have kids and right like yeah i mean again it's sort of hard like i said in terms of the gender stuff because you're right i mean i am mostly working with males um so what i see more than is sort of the you know the age (laughs) the age thing i mean you know where people you know are are wanting to do you know a little bit of different lifestyle i mean there's no right or wrong answer to that hey fam If you enjoy the Girls Who Chase community and you want to keep learning about the weather, you may want to join the American Meteorological Society's Weather Band. Connect with weather enthusiasts all over the world, as well as 10,000 and more members of the American Meteorological Society. You can swap questions, data, and stories with researchers, broadcasters, storm chasers, and more. Join interactive webinars, test your trivia knowledge, enter your photos in the Weather Band photo contest, or attend the annual Jamposium. Weather Band is a place to nurture and share your love of weather. Get a full membership now for just $12 a year by going to amsweatherband.org. So what important lessons have you learned that you wish you'd known when you started this journey and, and or would want to share with other women kind of working in similar spaces? I mean, some of it I wish I'd be more tolerant, I guess, of, I say failure, and that's not really the right word, or just more taking more risks or being more fearless or being more, you know, who cares? Um, but then you say that, and then you end up in a place where you're sort of happy with, and you're like, should I, should I have been different about that? <laughs> should I have been, you know, less risk averse or not worrying about this so much or, you know, um, and and I guess I've also gotten more of that. I mean, so I think when I initially started out, I'm just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which actually is probably a good, a good way to do things. Um, but I guess keep it, maybe keeping that, I don't know. Now I'm backing up. Actually. I'm like, I feel like I've gone from being more of like, yeah, sort of like, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. Um, and I know people are saying like, Oh, be sure you be more selective on how to spend your time or whatever this new, new guidance is on how to be a <laughs> happy, well-rounded person. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, not getting bogged down. So I wish like in the journey, like you don't get bogged down. I wish I could tell myself, don't get bogged down with sort of the small stuff, if that makes any sense, you know, sort of. And I think sometimes that starts happening. Um, I mean, you can't always be, you know, 20 and thinking, <laughs> thinking like a 20 year old. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, even, you know, things are going to change, but it's still, yeah, I guess, you know, keeping sort of not getting so bogged down with, you know, some of that. So I wish I would wish I would tell myself that along the journey, like, you know, yeah, keep, keep, keep not, keep not getting bogged down. Um, don't get too caught up in some of those other stuff. Um, I don't know that you're going to find, I guess, people that you want to work with. Um, hopefully, <laughs> or at least I did. So, I mean, I, I never knew, you know, I don't know. I never knew sort of what my niche would be. And I guess that was part of my saying yes to everything. Um, is that you, you know, sort of good. I did find by, by trial and error, because I definitely found things that I'm like, oh my God, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, you know, um, and rejecting that kind of stuff, um, not because it was bad stuff, just it wasn't working for me. Um, so 
but eventually, you know, hope, eventually, hopefully everybody sort of finds their, finds their niche, finds their. What would you say to someone who was afraid to pursue their passion or was being told it wasn't the right path for them? Oh, I would say just do it. Um, and I know that sounds like, <laughs> um, and certainly there's other things to consider. I mean, if you, you know, have, you know, you're worried about financial stuff, you have family, you know, I mean, there's, it's not, it's not a one zero, not a one zero thing to do. Um, and certainly people get into their passions also in different ways or ways that are sort of unexpected. Um, so even if, you know, you're not doing, you know, exactly what you think your passion is, um, there's other ways to be in and be doing things. Um, and also having hobbies. I mean, I feel like, you know, you don't have to get paid. I mean, you have to get paid probably to live, <laughs> but you don't have to get paid to, you know, do your passion necessarily, um, or paid much if you have another side gig going on. Um, so I guess I would just sort of be, be creative and how, how you do it. Um, it might not be, like I said, you know, the one zero or the linear path you think it is. Um, it might be cobbling together things in different ways to make it, you know, to make it work. I mean, nobody's probably, uh, I say this, but maybe somebody would be like, I totally am. I mean, probably nobody's a hundred percent doing <laughs> what they want to do, even if they're doing their passion. Um, Cause there's, you know, other stuff that goes along with that. Um, so that's probably too idealistic, but you know, if you're 60%, <laughs> if you're 60% doing what you want to do, um, I always feel like that's probably good. Being at 60% happiness is probably be liking what you do 60% of the time, you know, more often than not, um, it's probably a good thing. <laughs> a good goal. And, and liking 93% of the people around you are supporting you. These are good statistics. Yeah. <laughs> They're all just made up. But. Uh, hey, I mean, everybody's <laughs> life experience is different. So, um, so for an entity like Girls Who Chase, um, where do you just based on your experience um, in a largely male dominated arena, where would you see the most potential value um, for Girls Who Chase for the STEM and weather communities? Um, and where would you like to see us investing time and resources where do you think it would be most valuable well i think i mean gosh i mean like i said what you what you've done with this is excellent i mean i think it's just having yeah i mean different resources i mean and it's a it's a broad group i mean right i mean it's people you know who are doing it for various reasons um and people who are interested in it for various reasons but having 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 the diversity having different people and different you know whatever <laughs> pods um and people talking to people, you know, I mean, there's sort of very few resources for that out there. I mean, so you'd sort of ask me about my path and people. I mean, I, 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 I like name a person, um, <laughs> you know, as my resource, you know, going through, you know, graduate school or, you know, postdoc or now, I mean, I'm sort of naming a person. It's not like there's this, I've been, you know, using this, you know, resource like Girls Who Chase, where there's a community out there that's supporting, you know, people, um, different interests, different levels. Um, and that's having that, you know, having that 
central place to go and these people i mean you might not like all the people but you know there's lots of people i mean to choose from no i mean there's lots of people with different interests you know as opposed to like i said i mean i i, I keep saying i'm lucky because i've you know had one or two people that keep you know or three whatever um but it's not a whole community it's not like a whole resource to talk about this type of stuff um and also besides just you know talking about common interests and stuff. I mean, you're also, it's kind of nice to have a community and a resource that's, I'll say, outside of your job or what you're doing. I mean, so you're getting, you know, other people that come in with different perspectives or different ideas. Um, and you're not always, you know, just talking to the radar people, you know, I know, I mean, we're all just focused on this and everybody sees things sort of in one way or two ways. I mean, you know, I mean, or you're only just talking to forecasters. Um, so it sort of gives a broader a broader community for that. So I think the direction you're going is great. I mean, because you're not just reaching out to, you know, one particular one particular category. Um, you're reaching out to a broad, broad spectrum of people who have an interest in weather, and that's what should be encouraged. You could like something and not make that your career. <laughs> that's perfectly fine. And you should delve into it you know I mean you don't have to get paid to do it it doesn't have, you don't have to go to school for it um so I think having having that diversity um and also having a community where people know people know where to go um to get support to get information um is really really valuable cool well thank you I guess my job here is done <laughs> <laughs> done <laughs> what are you worried about right um <laughs> If someone is listening to this and wants to kind of follow in Karen's shoes a bit or take a similar path career-wise, what do you think is the most important sort of skill or education uh, in particular girls or women would need to be successful? Um... I mean, I think it's showing up, I mean, and showing up sort of no matter what or every day, or <laughs> even if you don't want to do it, um, you're kind of always there. I mean, I, I, like I said, I sort of said yes to a lot of stuff. I'd always just be there and how can I help and what can I do? And, you know, and sure, you need somebody to drive a vehicle <laughs> 2,000 miles for no good reason. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I will do that. No, I mean, not no good reason, but, you know, you're, you're looking for somebody to do that. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's not really the fun job, um, you know, and so there's that. I mean, then there's also, you know, how can I help? What can I do to help? How can I, you know, get in there and do something? Um, I mean, I, I would do a lot of that and just, yeah, just sort of, <laughs> be there kind of you know what can I do what can I do what can I do and always sort of being there helping um and certainly I've seen that you know in this parallels project with students um coming out to the field um and you know I, 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 this is just my world uh but th that doesn't mean that it's not applicable I mean you know I'm impressed with the the students and the people that are like yeah you want me to hold that for you <laughs> you know while you're assembling that for an hour <laughs> Sure, I'll do that. You know, um, you want me to be in the mud while I'm doing that? Okay. <laughs> no, you know, and so I mean, people, you know, are just, you know, realizing that um, field work and other stuff, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And whether, you know, whether, you know, you're the top dog or you're, you know, just starting out, um, actually, most people are contributing in some way. 
Um, so I think that would be my thing. It's just sort of, you know, whatever you're doing, whatever aspect of it is, is, you know, showing up and really just trying to be helpful, even if it means doing things that <laughs> seem silly, but, you know, but also, I mean, you're increasing your skills. I mean, so I'm joking about somebody holding, you know, a piece of waveguide, um, but there's a lot more, you know, they're also part of a team that's setting up and they're learning about how the radar is set up and they're talking to us and, you know, you realize they're team players and, you know, you see that kind of stuff going on. So that would probably be my best advice. And and those are the people who stand out to me, you know, in the field are the people who are the team players. Um, and asking questions, you know, why does it show this? Why are we doing this? You know, that's fine. <laughs> you know, having an interest in, you know, what we're doing is, you know, great. Um, so. I think that people often worry that asking a lot of questions is annoying, you know, like being inquisitive and um, being engaged is, isn't necessarily encouraged these days. So it's interesting to hear you say that from, I guess, like a research perspective. Yeah. And some people, I mean, and some people are better than me. I mean, I'm actually pretty shy um, and I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily like talk so much, um, but you know, I mean, and it's not because I don't want it. So when people ask questions, I'm always like, yes, thank you. <laughs> Please ask me a question so I could, you know, talk. Um, but like other people, I mean, I know a lot of people that I work with. I mean, they're more than happy. I mean, they even start out saying like, well, the reason you're holding this is because this, this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, oh my God, you're giving them so much information. <laughs> like, but no, I mean, but, but people appreciate that. And I know what I'm like on the receiving end of it. I appreciate that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you know, if you're asking questions, I mean, and if people aren't answering them, then you're probably not with the right people, <laughs> but you should be asking questions. Yeah, no, I mean, you should be asking questions or people should be explaining stuff to you, um, depending on, you know, but yeah, I would, I think that's, yeah, highly encouraged. I mean, I think what I was trying to say is just engaging people and having the right community and having the right people. I mean, I think having support networks, um, whether you think you need one or not, you probably do. Um, and it probably does make a difference um, for what you're doing. And also, again, there's different paths. I mean, you know, there's different ways to do meteorology, whether it's your career or not. So I would also get caught up and caught up in that as well. Well, um, if folks do want to chat with you, where can they find you on social media? or follow you for great research tips, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> uh, on Twitter, occasionally it oscillates between dows and dogs. <laughs> I like it. Depending, depending, depending my mood. <laughs> if I'm sort of done with work, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> don't talk. Don't talk about work. <laughs> um, or if I'm feeling particularly talking about work. Um, yeah, probably Twitter, but don't, don't expect. <laughs> what's and what's your Twitter handle? I'm trying. Uh, very imaginatively, it's uh, Karen Kasiba. <laughs> awesome, cool. So, okay. yeah, I mean, and again, I mean, people can email me too. Um, I mean, like I said, I I really do try very hard to answer people's emails, but sometimes if you email me once, email me like three times, and I know it sounds horrible. And I used to when people used to tell me that, I'm like, really? I'm like, I can't believe you. I need to email you three times to get an answer. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm sorry. Email me again, please. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know how to search anymore on email. I just become horrible. 
Are you one of those people that has like 15,000 notifications yes. in your email? Oh my God, yes. Yeah, my email is like... I don't know how like, and then I- you don't have nervous breakdowns every day from that. <laughs> oh, I, I don't even like know. There has to be a way like to organize email. Like I And I didn't get far Googling it because then it got just overwhelming. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Like, it's like, you should be filtering your email like this and putting it like that. And like, I'm like, oh, it's just, yeah. Like I said, I am failing at email management. It's horrible. I do. I I won't even show you. Like if you were looking at my screen right now and you saw like my email box, it's just like insane. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel like it would probably. And it's it's unorganized. Yeah. And it's unorganized. So it's just like thousands of like, you know, emails. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I think somebody emailed me about, (laughs) and I'm like, Dow, cat. Dow. I wonder what would happen if you searched Dow in your email. It would get really upsetting. Yeah, that's funny. Um, Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so it sounds like Twitter is the best place (laughs) to follow you for Dows and Dogs, which is awesome. Yes. You could also follow the Dow facility. Um, The Dow occasionally tweets. um, Also about the frequency I tweet. (laughs) I like the Dow's <laughs> tweets, actually. They're first person, and they're kind of cute. It's like the Mars rover has its own personality. Yeah. The Dow's very unoriginal, but it is what it is. <laughs> That's all right. It has a job to do. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Karen. It has been a pleasure talking to you about your research and and um, the future of, of women in storm chasing and weather and, and um, look forward to following your work and, and the work of perils. Yay. Same with you following your work, (laughs) following girls who chase. Today's episode was recorded and edited by me, Jen Walton. Our music is by storm chaser, Lori Bailey in collaboration with artist Ines Lobo. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can follow us at Girls Who Chase on Instagram and Twitter to hear about our upcoming events and see storm photos and videos from our badass contributors. You can support this initiative by donating or by becoming a Patreon member, where you'll get exclusive access to storm chasing content, forecasting information, and merchandise. You can find links to all of these at girlswhochase.com and in the show notes. Signing off for now, we'll see you under a mezzo.